there's a lot of people that I see that they've had not necessarily physical trauma, but like emotional trauma or just lots of stress and their body has held on to that for so many years. They need a lot more care than animals. Like animals just respond and they let it go. Mm-hmm. And then they're great. And, and people, it's like, I'm going to have to see you weekly or monthly or just a lot more often to get those same results. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Let's see, let's go into Chelsea's bio here. So Dr. Jones attended Weber State University and graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Health Promotion in 2014. After working in the health field for three years, she decided to return to school. She graduated with her Doctorate of Chiropractic from Parker University in August of 2020 and specializes in techniques for pediatrics and pregnancy, but also loves to serve the whole family no matter what age. Another unique certification she has is Animal Chiropractic from the AVCA. She has a passion for roping and rodeos and loves to serve animals and has additional specialized training in equine adjusting. Her mission in life is to help as many families and animals in her community as she can. Dr. Jones offers techniques including diversified Thompson activator pregnancy specific Webster technique certification and ICPA, which is the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association training. So she has a lot lot going on for her. (laughs) We're excited to have you, Chelsea. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So Chelsea has worked for both Camry and I on our horses and ourselves, and she's amazing, which is why we wanted to have her on. (laughs) Um, One thing that surprised me, like learning about you and reading your bio was you really have only been doing this for just a few years. That was shocking to me. I always thought that, oh, she's been doing this for forever. But I'm trying to think when you started working with us, you probably had just started. Yeah, I think so. I I did clinicals for a year in Texas, and I also worked for a chiropractor that she did humans and animals. So that was kind of my first start of like, okay, I can see how to run a business with both of them and kind of got my feet wet down there. And then, yeah, I just barely moved back in 2020. So I think I met you guys pretty soon after, um, after I started my business. So I'm glad you at least thought I was doing it for a while. <laughs> well, you were very professional, that's for sure. <laughs> well, and you. are and are professional. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Oh, um, one unique thing about Chelsea is she is mobile. She comes to you and that I feel like is really unique. It's really hard to find that um, in a chiropractor, at least you know, when I was looking for chiropractors when I was living in Utah and now in Idaho, it is very hard to find somebody that comes to you and will adjust both you and your horse at the same time. Like that is super nice. Can you tell us a little bit about like why you wanted to go from brick and motor to, to mobile? Yes. So I started, I guess, kind of a background. I did have just my brick and mortar clinic. Um, and I was seeing people in small animals and trying to do mobile work. And then it just transitioned. I got so many requests for mobile work. I was never in the clinic. So I figured, okay, people are already like, this is a need in the community. So I ended up just closing it and going mobile. And it's been such a blessing because I see way, I just, I feel like it's better results when I go to people's houses, especially with animals. They're just relaxed. They don't have to go into like a vet office. They're not freaking out and anxious from all the other animals. 
so that was kind of my main motivation. And even on the human side, people always tell me like, I love that you come to my house because I take a nap afterwards. And I'm like, that's wonderful. I love it. It's just like a whole you day, you get adjusted, you get a rest. So I love the mobile aspect. And I think it makes even scheduling easier because I can just do areas and then just get to people faster. So I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember, um, one time I had you come to the ranch that I was teaching lessons at and you were able to get like 20 horses done in one day. It was awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just whoever's there, sign them up. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, I don't want to jump too far forward. I know like we're both really excited to get into like what you know, but we also want you to be able to tell a little bit of your story. Um, so where did you grow up? Tell us like your siblings, hobbies. How did you get into horses? Tell us all yeah. the things. Yes, all the things. So I grew up in Clinton in Davis County, um, born and raised there. Um, we lived just on a main road. It was kind of small town, um, like it didn't have very much going on, just had a couple acres, horses, things like that. So we, me and my sister, she's six and a half years older than me. So we kind of had a gap. We were close, but not close when we were younger. Um, we were those girls that got ponies for Christmas from Santa. And when I Lucky. tell people that, I know everyone's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, so my dad was kind of getting into breaking horses, things like that, kind of tried it. So he got these two young Morgans. So I grew up on Morgan horses, which was not very well known when I was growing up. Um, so we got those for Christmas and I can't remember. I think I was maybe three or four when we got them. Um, and they were both, I think they were both two. Um, and so mine was Penny and my sister's was Dandy. And so we kind of grew up with them, like my dad was training them as we were learning to ride and we just would play with them, just kind of pet them, brush them, all the things. Um, so those are the two that I grew up with and I just loved animals. I loved the horses. We always had dogs and cows and horses, everything you could imagine. <laughs> so then we acquired another pony named Ozzy and I was still loving horses, went out to ride him one day and he just took off with me, scared me to death. I was telling my mom, I'm never going to ride horses again. That was terrifying. And they kind of just supported of like, okay, like we're not going to push you if you don't want to do it. And so I still loved being around them. And my dad got different horses and I would play with them and had a couple, you know, little colts. And so I got to play with them and Along the way, I decided, okay, I'm going to try to ride. <laughs> so I got back on Penny and my trusty one. And so I started riding again and fell in love with it, realized like it's not that terrifying. <laughs> so I had to overcome that little fear. <laughs> that's yeah. Awesome. So I feel like that's a pretty common incident with people in the horse industry. Like it's not if, it's when you have some right. kind of like fearful experience with a horse, right? Whether it's they yeah. bolt, they buck, something like that. So how many years was it in between when you had that incident and didn't want to ride to when you started riding again? Um, I want to say it was like four or five years. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. I should have, should have asked that <laughs> long. Cause I'm like, I can't even remember that long, but I know it's quite a span of time that I just wasn't having it. And my sister would ride and I just was like, yeah. Nope. <laughs> 
Yeah. Was there a certain, like, um, something you saw or a certain horse? Was it like that horse that you said that it was your trusty horse that finally made you like, hmm, okay, like I can try this again. Or what was it that kind of spurred you back into it? I think it was more, my sister was riding a lot more. She was super interested in like barrel racing, kind of would try it out in the arena. And so I think that was kind of like, that looks fun. (laughs) I want to try it too. And so I finally just got back on and started writing and then it's it's like been history ever since no roadblocks <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah. cool Sibling competitions can help <laughs> oh yeah <for> sure. <laughs> oh yeah so it's really interesting to me that your parents didn't like try to pressure you back into writing because I feel like most parents in this space would be like oh no suck it up get back on that horse right <laughs> so it's really interesting that your parents didn't do that to you do you know why like that's just interesting I think it was just, I'm kind of hard headed. (laughs) So I'm sure they were like, this is an uphill battle. If you don't want to do it, like that's totally fine. And it's, it was one of those, like my dad was still training some of our other horses and my sister was riding. So it wasn't like I just was the only one and all of a sudden they weren't getting used. So I think it wasn't as much of a pressure for me to ride. So I'm, I'm really thankful that they did because I think it would have been a lot harder just to be pressured of like, now I hate writing. That makes sense. That way, yeah, yeah, I can just investigate it and got back into it. So I'm really glad that they didn't pressure me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's actually similar to my little boy trip um, because at one point he came off of our old mare, Jasmine, and -hmm. it wasn't anything that like she had bucked or anything crazy but it was enough that it scared him you know because he just slid off and he was bareback and and at first I really did want to pressure him and be like come on get back on like keep trotting because he would get back on but he wouldn't trot like he was just terrified of the the movement because the movement is what made him fall off (laughs) and so but yeah it's like as soon as I stopped pressuring him then eventually a few months later he got to where he was like yeah I want to trot but it was all his idea you know, if it was me right. pressuring him because it was my idea, then it was like, uh-uh. <laughs> so right, I, like, I, cool. yeah, I think that pressure sometimes can work against you when you try and pressure someone into something that they're a little uncertain about. <laughs> right. Yes. I think it's a valuable lesson. And even I have some little nieces and I taught them how to write. And it's kind of the same where I have to take into my own experience of like when to push them and when not to. So I'm like, okay, this applies like lifelong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So go into like your high school years here. So um, I loved reading about this when you answered a few of those questions. I'm like, oh, so tell me all the things about like your roping and rodeo stuff. This is awesome. Yes, I know. When I was pulling it out, I was like, I don't know how much is too much. I feel like this is long. <laughs> <laughs> Never too much. <laughs> <laughs> tell us everything. Yes. So yeah, just kind of skip forward. Like you were saying, I, I started writing again. And then um, my parents owned a Blimpy, a Southern Salad shop. Um, and they had a customer that he team roped. And so he started talking to my dad just about roping. It was one of those things, like I look back now and I'm like, that was probably one of the most random conversations of like, I team rope, your daughter should team rope. (laughs) And so my dad kind of brought it up and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that. And they brought me, I want to say it might've been for Christmas. They got me a Jake steer. And so I started just roping the dummy and I fell in love with it. They got like a video for me with it, just telling me the basics. And I took off, like, I just felt really natural at it, started roping and Penny, my trusty steed, 
I was trying to rope on her and she, we always called her the deer because she was so uncoordinated. Like she wasn't even really gated. <laughs> she had just like a weird gallop and she was really flighty at everything. And she just never changed how much you trained her. And so looking back, I'm like, that was just not a good pairing. And I told my dad, I said, I really want a rodeo, but I need a different horse. Like, I just know we're not a very good team. And so he just pretty much told me that's out of the budget. Like, rope horses are really expensive. And so I kind of was like, okay, I, I accept that. But like, if something comes up, you know, a good opportunity, I would take it. And so I just kept roping the dummy every day. So I'm not going to give up. For those of us who don't know roping very well, <laughs> it, you said it was a Jake dummy? Yeah, it's called a Jake steer. It's, it's like a plastic upper body of a steer. And then it just has like the removable horns. So you can change the horn size. So that way you're kind of like you're on a horse roping a, like an actual cow. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would rope all the time. That's awesome. So was it one of those that could be pulled behind something or was it stationary? Oh, good question. Practice? It was, yeah, this one was just a stationary. So I just put it on the ground and kind of gave like the same level if you were on a horse, like throwing down to a steer. So I didn't, yeah, that's a good question. I didn't have a moving one yet. So it was just all stationary practice. That's hilarious that your horse was like, what the heck are you wanting me to do here? <laughs> I know at one point we put it on like a little red wagon like we took the sides off and we tried to pull it behind a four-wheeler and she was not a fan so I did try to make it one that was you could actually move and and chase it but it really didn't work that's hilarious so with you coming to that realization that like Penny probably wasn't the best horse for this sport um how was that for you because there's a lot of people who who realize that but it's like that's the horse you grew up with. Like, gosh, like literally grew right. up with this horse. Was it pretty hard for you to make that realization? Um, yes and no. I think it was one of those, like we had grown up together and it's like, you just realize you're at a point of it's not working. I felt like she didn't like it and I wasn't enjoying it because we were in a good team. And so it was, it was one of those of like, okay, how do you transition to the next step in life of realizing like where you need to leave things so it was kind of hard of like I still want her around so I can ride her but I need something else to advance in this portion of life so it was kind of twofold like yes and no is that bittersweet moving on yeah that makes sense you're such a wise little teenager <laughs> <laughs> doing the dummy roping and the client that my dad had talked to I think he was kind of still in contact with and we started checking KSL where they have a lot of horses for sale and we found this big dun horse named Tucker and so my dad was like okay he's he's kind of in the budget like do you want to go check him out and I of course was ecstatic <laughs> I was like yeah let's go let's go check him out and so we drove down to Salt Lake and started talking to the gal that had him for sale. And she said, well, my dad's a huge team roper in Arizona. He trained this horse for me. She came out like the first couple of runs and caught her thumb, which is pretty common in team roping. 
that can happen. Yeah. Do you and want so, to explain and, to those who don't rope what that even means? <laughs> yes, yes. So when you're team roping, you rope the steers on the head and then you rope the horns and then you use the rope to dally around the saddle horn so that you can turn the steer. And if you do it incorrectly, you can get your thumb turned down into the rope to where there's pressure against the horn. And so there's quite a few team ropers that have lost a thumb that it's just, they can't get it out in time. Thankfully, she didn't, she just kind of rope burned and let it go. So she had all 10 fingers. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so she was like, this was a win. I don't want to catch it again. <laughs> so she, she had him up for sale for fairly cheap for how he was trained and kind of told her my story of like, I, I don't team rope. Like I'm super new. I need this horse that's going to take care of me and she was like this is the horse like <laughs> you guys are a match you have to get him and so we ended up getting him that's so and cool you got your unicorn <laughs> yeah and I was <laughs> I know I was like I can't even believe it and so we took him home and he was huge it was over 16 hands like it was the biggest horse I'd had so that was kind of a learning curve too of like just learning to ride him he's a totally different gait just super long and lanky of like his strides are so big. <laughs> so I was getting used to him and um, the, the client of my dad's, his name's Darren. And he said, well, you can bring him over. We have an arena, you know, you can try him out. We'll help you figure it out. And so we did, took him over. Obviously I'd never roped a live steer. So I was pretty nervous and I should have found the picture. <laughs> My mom was like, okay, I'm going to document this very wise. And we have a picture. He left the box so hard. I like hopped in the saddle and then hopped like his next stride to the back of the saddle, like behind it. And then I pulled myself up and then I kept running down the arena and threw my rope. <laughs> so it was quite the adventure on my first one. <laughs> That's hilarious. As a teenager, did you feel like mortified? that it was so bad your first run yes <laughs> yeah I was pretty embarrassed of like oh my gosh is this like does this happen to everybody am I kind of behind the curve and and so he came over and was like well you don't really have a rope saddle I mean there's nothing really supporting you from going backwards and so he's like don't feel bad like they were super supportive they were so nice and so they just told me like try again but this time like hold on to the horn <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I learned of like leave with the horse and and try to be with the horse and so I was like okay that makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah well and if you've never ridden a rope horse they come out so hard so from the fast. box like yeah. they just and it's a whole different feeling so I'm like I feel you there because my husband and my right. father-in-law team rope yeah and I'm I'm not a roper myself but yeah when you get on those rope horses and you and you follow a steer <laughs> yeah it's like holy cow <laughs> I know I was like I was not prepared for this and I obviously like when I tried him out she didn't rope on him or anything like I'd never seen him work <laughs> and so I was like so okay I'll just brand new. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's one of those where I was very humbled of like this is gonna take a lot of work <laughs> mm -hmm. it's pretty cool so. though because a lot of teenagers I feel like especially when they start a little bit later, like in their teenage years, I feel like having that experience, they would have just been 
you know, wanting to quit. <laughs> and like, that was embarrassing. Yeah. I'm going to be done. <laughs> so it's pretty cool that you stuck with it and you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. This is just a new experience. Right. Yeah. No, I think I was just so motivated. Like everyone, when I would rope the dummy would tell me like, you're a natural, like you have such good form. We can't even tell like that you're pretty new. And so I just, I had it in my mind of like, I can be good at this. I'm going to work at it. And so, yeah, it was just one of those, like, I'm getting knocked down for a second. Like I'm, like I said, I'm just kind of being humbled, but we're going to keep trying. So I did, I think I went after like 10 or 12 steers that first night and I partially roped a horn on one of them, like everything else I just threw in the dirt. <laughs> and so that's where they kind of pointed out of like, this is more a lesson on getting with the horse and figuring him out and just learning how to track a steer, don't even worry about roping. And so I think everyone that I was surrounded by is a huge attribute for even to keep going. <laughs> Cause yeah, if, after the first one, I would have been like, nope, this is too hard. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> right. Well, and I feel like in the horse industry too, it's pretty common to hear people like have a bug about a certain thing, you know, that's like, yep. oh, that just like lights that fire under you, right? Yeah. And it's it's so cool that you found your your thing. I know. And I just, I kind of fell into it. And so I, I kept going and I, I feel like everything was almost coincidental. Like I just went along this path where I would run into people that would help me because no, like my parents didn't rope no one in my family rodeoed it was brand new and I even got comments kind of like you guys were saying people would tell me all the time like you had a really late start like most people in high school rodeo started when they were young <laughs> so I kind of had that in my mind of like I am starting late I have to overcome a lot that means I have to practice more to be better to to improve and so it was also a pushing motiv motivator of like I have to do this I don't have time to slack and just think, oh, I'll pick it up eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that because I think you could have probably taken some of those comments of people being like, oh, you're such a natural and just been like, oh, I'm naturally good at it. I don't have to really try. Right. But you actually were like, yes, I'm going to put in this, all this effort so that I can be even yeah. better. And that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I, I kept, so I went over there once or twice just to learn with the horse and then I was lucky enough. I had a neighbor like two houses up on our street that he team roped. He had an arena, um, just the typical cowboy. Like I just loved it. He knew so much about roping. He had the big handlebar mustache. And so he, like they used the typical, he used to jockey and ride bulls. And so he'd been through like every aspect of rodeo. And so my dad went over and asked him if he would help teach me if I could come team rope and he said yes and so we laugh now he would always invite me to Sunday church and I would like saddle up all my horses and go over on Sunday mornings and we would rope for hours and that was like the highlight of my week <laughs> that's an awesome Sunday activity <laughs> I, yes, love I loved it <laughs> yeah he would like if we roped on a Friday or something he's like are you coming to church on Sunday I'm like, yep um, I'll be over here I'll bring all my horses <laughs> Like, of course I will be there. Yep. <laughs> kind of <a> question <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> so with, I have got kind of a couple of questions that I'm just really curious to hear your thoughts on, but 
why team roping? You know, you, you just met this gal who caught her thumb. You knew that people lose thumbs. For me, I mean, roping is super fun. I love roping on the ground and stuff, but I've always been super nervous about doing it on the horse because I don't want to lose a finger. So why did you choose one of like the most dangerous <laughs> roping activities <laughs> to do? Well, and honestly, looking back, I'm like, I don't know why I started with team roping. I just picked up on it so fast. It didn't even phase me. I think in my mind, I actually did a lot of drills with dallying um, just to make sure I didn't catch my finger. And I, I guess in my mind, I was like, I can just practice this so much. I don't even worry about it. I'm just going to overcome it and find out a way to not be scared of it every time like if you focus on what you don't want that's usually what happens right the <laughs> I'm like, I, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I did a lot of drills and I we did this really funny drill where I would act like I was ready to dally and then I would have one of my parents like take off running away from me with the rope so I had that similar feeling of I had to dally really fast and we I just did drills like that over and over to where I was I wasn't afraid of it. I did have some close calls where it's like, I didn't quite catch my finger, but it would rope burn or kind of slide on my hand weird. And it would just kind of wake me up of like, okay, I have to pay attention again. I have to do those drills again. And so I don't know. I just, I loved it. I was like, I'm just going to start here. And I didn't really vibe with like barrel racing. I wasn't into that yet. And I just, love the aspect of team roping so I just took off with it (laughs) (laughs) that's so awesome (laughs) seriously you you were such a unique teenager I'm listening to your story I'm like I did not know very many teenage girls who would have had that grit to just keep working at it especially when your family's not into it and they don't know what they're doing it's just it's a very intense sport to get into and for you to have that method in place of I'm just going to practice and practice and practice it's pretty pretty unique I, yeah, I think it's honestly, like I said, just everyone that was around me and Kelly. So Kelly Wallen was my neighbor and he, he honestly helped me so much. And he had a couple other people that would come and we would all rope together. And he just, he knew everybody and they would come over like once and we would all rope together and they would give me their little grains of advice. And so I just had so many different people I was exposed to in roping that I was like, this is, this is so good. And it's like in rodeo, it's a pretty close knit community. Like everybody knows each other. Everybody's willing to help you. And I just loved that. I was like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be good at it. And I just, I was motivated. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and to be immersed in it in such a tight knit community like that, that's really cool. Yeah. I love that. I'm super grateful for everyone that I ran into. And even I started youth rodeo first. And um, Kelly Nelson was one of the first people that she was like, well, I'll teach you how to go tie, come over to my house. And so that was another one of like, I had no idea what goat tying even was like, and I just <laughs> said, okay, I'll, I'll try it out. And she taught me how to go tie and just like expanded my horizons. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you want to explain what goat tying is for everyone who yes. doesn't know? <laughs> Yes. So with goat tying, you're on your horse at one end of the arena, and then they have a goat staked at the other end on like a 10 foot rope. And you essentially run down on your horse and you get off as the horse is running and you run up to the goat and you 
kind of like calf tying. If anyone has seen calf tying, you flank the goat and then you tie three of the legs together. And then it just has to stay tied for a certain amount of time for you to get a time. So when I was rodeoing, like a competitive time was like six to eight seconds. And I, I was floored by that. I'm like, how do you run up and get off your horse and tie a goat and try to place? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm okay. curious, um, cause I've always wondered about, about these different things, but are girls allowed to do calf tying or, you know, calf um, roping? Is that why they have goat tying? I actually couldn't even tell you if this is like a thing that you can't do. It's usually like the boys and girls event. So like the boys would calf tie and then the girls would break away, which is just roping the calf. The rope breaks off. You don't have to tie it. So I think it's just a combination that the girls were offered breakaway and then goat tying to where you're kind of getting like a calf roping experience, but you're not doing the full thing. I don't know if you could even enter it. I guess I never even looked into it because I didn't want a calf rope. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I wasn't even interested. I'm pretty sure I remember you posting some really funny video about you. Was it calf roping or Oh, or you like totally was, missed it or something? Or it was, I can't remember what yeah, the- <laughs> It was goat tying. <laughs> I should pull that up again. Yeah, the I think the video that I posted, this was like a memorable run for a lot of people that know me. <laughs> I, I was at a high school rodeo and I, so I did five events in high school, not to jump ahead, but I would always be up in two arenas at the same time. And so it happened at this rodeo. I was up in team roping and up in goat tying. <laughs> so I was in a hurry and I was like, okay, I'm just going to get through this run. I was pretty confident. I ran up the arena. I went to swing off my horse and my foot hit the horse's hoof at the same time. And so I caught like nothing <laughs> and I completely face planted it. And then I rolled over myself onto the goat <laughs> and then I got up and still tied the goat and everyone was like I'm pretty sure you got a concussion (laughs) (laughs) and I was like I'm fine I'm fine and I ran out of the arena with this horse my dad had my other horse ready and I guess someone else had ran from an arena and found him and like told him what happened and was like just watch her I don't know if she's okay like and a typical so after, sport <laughs> right I know and I was like oh I'm fine I'm fine and I like went off and team roped after <laughs> oh that's funny that's so funny that you're you gonna have to that find video. that video <laughs> I want to see it now <laughs> I, know. I know I'll have to find it again I'll tag you guys in it you can watch it <laughs> oh yes so yeah I, I go tied I did all that um let's see where was I at in my story just team roping Yep, just started team roping. What happened to Penny? I gotta know. Oh yes, see, <laughs> I had her for years. Actually, I had her all through high school rodeo. She was just kind of like a riding horse, trail riding. So I had her until I want to say into high school or college. We had her for quite a while, and then actually sold her to a neighbor. So then we still got to see her all the time. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It was a good, yeah, it's a happy ending. We had her for a while. I didn't just get rid of her. (laughs) Well, it's one of those hard decisions that I feel like I hear a lot where people are having to make that decision, like sell my horse or keep it. And not everyone is in the space where they can hold on to multiple horses, right? So it's always interesting to hear somebody go through that process and and what you do. So it's awesome that you were able to keep her. (laughs) 
Yes, I know. I was like, I can't get rid of her yet. But it was finally time. She just went as more of a kid's horse and they loved her. So yeah, she she has had a good life. I'm not, I know they sold her. I'm not sure where she's at now. She'd be like in her 30s if she's still pretty old. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think that can be hard too, like sentimentally to to get rid of a horse, right? Because you Mm -hmm. have that emotional connection with them and everything. But I do think that it's important to place the horse's welfare and well-being ahead of your emotional attachment to them. Because especially with people like that, that they they get these horses that they've used for so many years, but then that horse is just sitting there doing nothing, but then they can't get rid of it because it's their baby. But really, it's actually probably better for Penny that she went and was able to get used and still keep moving, keep her circulation going um, and stay in better health that way. So um, I don't want our listeners to be like, oh, we shouldn't sell our horses. It's like, no, actually, it's a a good thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. She wouldn't have gotten used how she needed to just because I was so busy rodeoing at that point. So yeah, I was definitely like, okay, she's probably not very happy just sitting here. Yeah. So So that's awesome. Yeah. I think she was happier. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, what other hobbies did you have outside of like the horses and, and the rodeoing when you were in high school? Um, I took piano lessons for a long time. So I played piano a lot. That was another one I was naturally good at and I did not take advantage of it. Who does? My, I need piano. <laughs> I know. And I, it's so funny. I look back. My mom was so wise because she was like, you just, you're going to keep doing piano. And she pushed me to do it. And I like I would go to a lesson and do really well and then I would practice all week and she was like how do you do this you should be practicing so later on I feel like into high school I finally enjoyed it and I played a lot more so I did piano um along the way I picked up running that was just like an outlet that I loved I started running like half marathons later on marathon running (laughs) lots of running (laughs) Um, and then like snowboarding in the winter, that was like a go-to. So just kind of the typical like Utah outdoor stuff, like hiking, snowboarding, all the things. But it it always came back to rodeo or like horses. That was my number one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny to me that you, uh, the piano and team roping are both like on your top favorites because I'm yeah. like, well, you do need your thumbs for <laughs> yeah it was it was on the the docket of like use your hands for piano use your hands for team roping I'm a chiropractor need my thumbs my hands (laughs) yeah yeah so I guess this is kind of jumping way ahead really quick but do you still team rope because like you said you do need your hands (laughs) I I still like rope the dummy, but when I started my clinic, I sold all of my horses to fund the clinic and kind of the same thing. I knew they wouldn't get used. So it was a very heartbreaking decision. Yeah. I, I cried for a long time. <laughs> I kept telling my husband, I'm like, I, I know this is the right decision. Like they're not going to get used. I'm so busy, but I can't do it. It's so hard. So, hard. <laughs> so, so yeah, I sold all of them to start the clinic. So that's, I think my motivating factor that I want to get 
some more rope courses down the line so I can get back to rodeoing, but it's on hold for now, which is so sad. <laughs> yeah. So I do have one quick question before we jump into kind of where you started your business there. Yeah. Um, did I read that you went to nationals? Yes. So I, after team roping, I got into breakaway roping and I ended up even gelling with that way better. And so I ended up in nationals for breakaway roping. So that was my goal for high school. I wanted to get to nationals in an event. So I finally made it my senior year. So that was my claim to fame. <laughs> that's <school>. awesome. <laughs> so yeah, breakaway, um, that's where the calf goes, you go, you rope the calf and then your rope just kind of breaks when the, when it's tight on the calf, right? Yep, exactly. Cool. Yep. So that was my, I loved it. Cause I was like, you don't even have to do anything after <laughs> You, the horse. <laughs> you don't have to worry about your thumbs <laughs> exactly you just let it go so yeah I loved it I had a, a different horse I got for breakaway and he he loved it he was a small little horse like we never broke out broke the barrier so yeah we just we gelled my senior year and he took me clear to national so that was a fun year <laughs> that's awesome okay I'm curious because I was always that girl that was like, oh, I wish I could rodeo or do something, but that just was not in the cards for me. How much of a time commitment was that for you in high school? And was it pretty hard to travel and to go to all these rodeos while you were in high school? Um, Yes, it was a huge time commitment. Thankfully, like I was saying, my neighbor had an arena, so I didn't have to like trailer or find somewhere to team rope, but I still made that time commitment like through the weekends, I would go rope. my senior year when I was trying to make it to nationals, even before state, like I would wake up at five in the morning and go practice and then go to school and come home and go practice something else. Like I, I just made myself busy all the time. because I was like, I have the time I've got to take advantage of it. So it was definitely a time commitment. Um, and then with the rodeos, Utah is super competitive. So it was like every Friday, Saturday, I would have a rodeo during like the fall and the spring for the main season. And then we usually took winter summers off, but it was, yeah, like time was consumed all fall, all spring, <laughs> traveled oh. lots of miles. <laughs> yeah. So in Utah, it might be a little bit different than where I grew up, like where I'm at. I mean, you're traveling hours and hours and hours away right. to get to the rodeos. Was that the way it was for you? Or did you guys have rodeos that were closer where the travel wasn't quite as much of a commitment? Um, it was both. Since I lived up north, we had rodeos that would range from like 20 to 30 minutes away to an hour away, which was probably the average for most of them. Um, and then they have, it's called the Dixie Six, or at least it was called the Dixie Six when I was in rodeo. And so you could go down to St. George, which was like a four to five hour drive for those ones. So I'd say, but on average, yeah, like half an hour hour and a half it wasn't quite as bad as like driving all over the state or or out of the state but it was still quite the commitment by the time you drive there there were so many contestants it's like an all-day thing an all-weekend thing so definitely lots of time (laughs) oh yeah for sure it's it's still so cool just to listen to and be like wow you practiced a lot and just the way that you said like you filled your time and you made sure you were practicing because with rodeo, I'm well, and I don't know, do you have that team aspect like you do with other sports or is it more on your own and like with you and your horse? 
Um, I feel like with rodeo, there's both, especially where I team roped. Um, there's like that team aspect, but I loved rodeo because even your competitors are cheering you on. It's, it's almost like a team aspect in that because it's not really just like, you're my competitor. We're going against each other. It's like you're saying, it's just me and my horse. Like everyone is so involved in everyone else's success. It just feels like a whole team in every event. Um, even though the practice portion of it is like just me and my horse, that's all that you're, you're worried about. So there's definitely both aspects, which I think is what drew me into it too, of there's competition, but it's healthy. <laughs> yeah. I have to agree with that there too, with my husband and father-in-law with team roping, it's the same thing. Like all of the teams are all cheering each other on, you know, yeah. it's not like, oh, dang it. So-and-so caught. I wish they wouldn't have caught, you know, like they're not like trying right. to screw each other over or, or hurt each other's horses or, you know, do anything like that to, to discourage right. them they're doing everything to just encourage everybody. And yeah, it's, it's an awesome community to be a part of. So. Yeah. I, I definitely loved it because it was so much different than like, like a a regular high school sport of like our team is better and like putting down the other team. Like that's not really the point. (laughs) You should just want to do better yourself if you're trying to win or, or whatnot. And so, yeah, I just, I like that aspect. And especially like my senior year in breakaway, there was, like the top girls that we were always placing it's like I would win this one and then I would get second and another person would would win that one and we just cheered each other on like everyone's so happy of like here's your skills we all know how much time and practice and money it takes to get here we're just cheering each other on so yeah I was I was super happy to be a part of it I love that. That reminds me of track for me. Track was my favorite sport. I'm like, and that's why <laughs> yes. it was because it was more individual and you just, you cheered everyone on. It didn't matter if somebody beat you. It was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try to get my time faster. It wasn't, didn't have anything to do about the other person. And I love that. That's so cool to, to hear about with rodeo. Cause I seriously, I'm so out of the rodeo world that <laughs> it's fun to hear that it's, that it's so inclusive and supportive. Yeah, it was so good. And kind of like we were talking about earlier, even though I started late, everyone was so supportive, especially kind of like mine, where I just took off in a couple of events, everyone kind of in in every respective event would realize, okay, these are the people that are very talented. Like, we want to get on board with that. We want to push you. It's it's not like we're, we're dragging you down. Oh, no, you can't win. <laughs> so yeah, I like the rodeo aspect of it. That's awesome. So you had some pretty interesting stories about the horses you rodeoed on that <laughs> seemed to lead you into the chiropractic realm. Do you want to tell us about those and, and how it's kind of fed your chiropractic interest? Yes, yes. So as touched on my team roping horse, Tucker, he became known for his bucking in the rodeo arena. He was such a solid horse, so good at what he would do. Like I would have people come and offer to buy him from me just really solid but then I had some I don't know how long I had him maybe a year and then all of a sudden he just every time I would turn a steer he would go to bucking and I didn't know what was going on I I learned how to ride Bronx pretty good <laughs> and so I was like there's got to be something going on and someone mentioned well maybe you should try a chiropractor and I'd never heard of it um, there was a vet in Ogden that she did chiropractic. And so I, I took him to her, she worked on him 
And he was like a night and day different horse. He just was so solid after that, working great. And I think I made it a few months and then we were back to bucking again. So I did the same thing. I took him in and was like, is this the same thing? And so again, she worked on him. Here's what's going on. And so that kind of opened my eyes of like, okay, you've really got to take care of your horses. Like there's something going on here. Um, and, and so he was pretty solid um, after that point. We, we had gotten pretty bad. It was like every rodeo, I wasn't sure if he was going to buck or not, <laughs> which in my sounds was like, I don't want to be worrying about that and worrying about roping. And, and even like the rodeo dads, they would score me. They would come up and be like, oh, that's like an 88. You rode so good. And I'm like, okay, but I'm team roping. <laughs> You're like, thanks a lot. But that was not my purpose. <laughs> I know. So I'm like, it was, it was funny, but it was also like, we got to figure this out. So so he kind of started it and then I got my, my little breakaway horse and he was a little Arab cross. So he was hotter tempered to begin with. And he, he just was so patterned. I got him patterned on barrels and poles and he just got to the point of like, he couldn't even think he just would go through things and he was so wired and he would just like sit there and chomp on the bit. And so we figured, well, it worked on Tucker. We'll, we'll try it on him. And I took him in and got him adjusted and she adjusted his pole. Um, and if those that are listening aren't, aren't sure on anatomy, it's the very top bone. Um, you have like the C1 and C2 right behind the head on the top of the neck. And she adjusted that. And I just watched him lower his head and he melted. And I was like, I've never seen him do that. He's so high strung. And so she kind of explain the same thing of like, okay, well, if there's a lot of pressure going on, he's got a ton of tension, maybe kind of like a headache in a horse. There's just a lot going on. And so she's like, he can finally relax. Like he's out of pain. And that really resonated with me. Kind of the same thing of like, I've already been exposed to this, but this is a totally different experience. Like Tucker's is more in the back, his is in the neck. And so same thing. I just, I put them both on maintenance schedules. Like I have to have good rodeo horses. And he was so solid. Like he used to be fired up. I had people telling me like, he will never be a rope horse. He can't concentrate. And I got him adjusted and started working. And then, like I said, that's the horse that took me to nationals. And so that was quite the testament to me of like, this is a horse that was so high strung. People said I couldn't even rope on him. And just a maintenance schedule of adjustments, he took me to nationals. And so I took that kind of education in my brim and I had my other horse was my barrel horse and we actually traded for her we traded a different Morgan horse we acquired along the way and they said she's they kind of phrased her as like she's a dangerous horse you can't tie her in the trailer she'll just she's hung back so many times you know she had a huge gash on her nose where she had hung back and then hit the top of the trailer and I was like okay I don't know what we're getting into but she seemed pretty like great yeah and they said you also can't even get her out of a trot she'll start to buck and I'm not even sure why we did the trade but I think it was one of those of like I feel like you don't really know this horse or what you're doing so we traded we took her home and sure enough I tried to ride her she tried to buck and so it was like my first thought let's take her to the chiropractor and we did and she like we brought her home and I think we'd had her like a week or two at that point and she would never lay down. Like she wouldn't rest. She just seemed uncomfortable. And we took her home and she finally just like laid down and rolled. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's been so uncomfortable. She couldn't even rest. 
or try to lay down. And then I tried to ride her and she let me gallop her and let me run the barrel pattern. And so I was like, okay, she's just been in a lot of pain. And so those three are what really fueled me of just different circumstances. I was super interested in it, but I never really considered I would end up as an animal chiropractor, but I kind of kept those in the back of my mind of like, this really works like this. There's something to this. <laughs> yeah, that's really unique because I, I'm trying to think even before you, I maybe have had one other equine chiropractor that, that worked on my horses. I always had it done for me because I was in sports and always needed adjustments for myself, but right. there was no one that I knew of that would come and adjust my horse. And yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing what will happen. Like you said, all these horses, the one horse was deemed dangerous and then you just got her adjusted and got her comfortable and she was able to just perform very well for you. It's pretty amazing when you, when you look at the root causes of things. Yeah, that was definitely when I was like, okay, there's, there's more here. There's more we need to look at. They're not, it's not just an animal. It's not just my horse, you know, they should be fine Which and now like in my professional career, I hear that all the time of like, oh, they're fine. They push through a lot. And I'm like, no, <laughs> they don't need to though. I'm like, even though they push through it, it doesn't mean they're not still in pain. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I remember my, the very first time, and this was in college that I ever saw a chiropractic adjustment done on a horse. They did chiropractic and they also did acupuncture. Yeah. And what I thought was so cool with it is that with humans, we have the placebo effect, right? Where our brain can be like, I know this is what's supposed to happen. So your right. brain creates it, right? But with a horse, they have zero idea of what you're doing, why you're doing it, what it's supposed to do for them, and to just see the differences in them physically and like mentally with everything else of being able to handle small stressors in their life because they're not in pain right. um, and all of that. It's just so cool to see because again, like I said, they, they don't have that expectation of like, I'm supposed to feel better with this. <laughs> so it's like, there's your proof right there. They don't know it's supposed to help them and it helps them. So it works. <laughs> right. And I, I hear that all the time. That's why I tell people I like to adjust babies and animals. Cause like you're saying, they don't have that conscious thought of, I don't know if I feel better. They just respond you just watch it there's there's not that placebo effect like you're saying because I've, I've heard that a lot on the human side of like well they're just kind of like mind over matter like you're just making them think they feel better and I'm like okay but when you watch animals just like completely calm down I'm not like whispering in their ear like you have to feel better <laughs> so I'm glad that you brought that up that's a that's a really good point I love that you had that experience yeah, you're not yeah. you're not over here doing witchcraft, huh? <laughs> <laughs> <Not craziness. laughs> All the voodoo magic. <laughs> I mean, I get that. Even my husband, just when I get adjusted or when when I have you come out to do my horses, he's kind of like, yeah, okay, Michaela, like whatever. <laughs> sure, I'll hold the horse for you and video Chelsea as she does it, but whatever. <laughs> do you I get that remember. quite a bit? I do, yeah. I have when it's really interesting kind of to tie into the team roping usually team ropers are the main ones that are like I don't know why you're doing this <laughs> I've never had to do this on my horse before and then as I start to talk to them about like what's happening tie in like the nervous system they're like oh yeah I have this horse that does this and then I kind of okay <laughs> you're already telling me like what they're doing why they need an adjustment and so 
yeah, I have a lot of people that talk about it of like, I don't know if I really believe it. And I still have a few clients that they're not super sure about it. Even as I try to educate, they're just like, I just can't wrap my head around what you're doing, but they still call me out because they see that it works. <laughs> and so, so I, I tell people of like, even if you don't believe it, like chiropractic is still going to work. <laughs> it's not based off of like your belief or not. You'll still be able to see it. You can watch it in your animals. <laughs> so do you tend to see it in older people more? Cause I feel like a lot of the people that would be a bit more on the skeptical side would be like your older cowboys that are like, just <laughs> rub some dirt on it. Right. <laughs> you know, that mentality, or is it like all ages? What have you noticed? Um, it is all ages, but I definitely would say older generations that are, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions that have come from chiropractic that are like myths that are being dispelled of like what we're doing or what we offer, what the benefits are. Cause I hear wild stuff all the time that I have to tell people like, I don't do that. <laughs> but like that's, that's not what we're doing. And like I had a guy, he was an older gentleman that called me and, and said, I was referred to you and I'm not really sure what chiropractic is. And, and so this is obviously a phone call. Like I haven't seen the horse or anything. And he said, so what do you do? Do you just hook the horse up both ends to, to separate tractors and you just drive them away? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, uh, no, we're not like stretching the horse out. <laughs> Oh my so gosh. That, that was one of the funnier ones that I was like, okay, I really, I got to educate <laughs> on what's going on. So I kind of took him through what I did and, and everything. And so when I, when he called me out and he could watch me work on the horse, he was like, okay, yeah, like this makes sense what you're doing. And I, I just have never forgotten that I laughed so hard that I was like, I, I don't really know how to respond to that. <laughs> no. <laughs> But yeah, it, it definitely is older, the older generation that's kind of like, I don't need that. Or they say like, I've gone so long without a chiropractor. What's it going to do? And so it's, it's hard. And I tell people like, I'm not here to change your mind. Like if you're just staunch of like, this isn't for me, then that's totally fine. Like I respect your opinion. I'm not here to harass you into like chiropractic is the best thing. But like, if you're interested I'm told again, let's, let's chat about it. Let's talk about your questions. So yeah, it's, it's so interesting just to see the differences too in generations of like questions that come up and who decides to start using chiropractic. So it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, like with me, there's like the woo woo side of stuff. And then there's like, you know, science type stuff. And honestly, I get such a blend of all of them. And to me, it's like, if it works, it works, you know, regardless right. of if it's like Eastern medicine, Western medicine, whatever you want to call yeah. it, if it works, do it. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I have people, same thing. They'll tell me like, well, this is what I'm doing and this is working. And I'm like, great. Keep, keep doing that. Like you figured out what like you or your animals respond to and we'll co-manage or, or do whatever you need to. It's not, it's not an all or nothing. Like you're saying, and sometimes chiropractic is a solution sometimes it's not so it's good to have that toolbox like you're saying like okay well I know something else that I can try let's do this so I'm I'm all about like multidisciplinary in approach so yeah 
Awesome. So let's get into after high school. So um, kind of what did you do after you graduated and when did you um, start getting into your schooling to get into chiropractic care? Yes. So I got into college, um, did my degree in health promotion. I, I worked and went to school. And so I rushed through it in three years because I was like, I don't want to stay here longer than I need to. I just I wasn't quite sure on my direction. I just figured I should get a degree. I felt like I needed to go that route. So I did that. And then I got a job at a health insurance company and I worked in the call center and I absolutely hated it. I'm like, this is not for me. Everybody calling me is just so rude. Uh, I like, I have nothing to do with your insurance. I'm trying to help you. So I did that for three years. And along that point, I got a new heading horse. And same thing, I took her to the chiropractor and I was kind of at that midlife crisis as a young 20 year old, right? And I was like, <laughs> like quarter life crisis, maybe? I quarter mean. <laughs> life crisis, yeah. <laughs> and I just was like, I, there's gotta be something else I can do. And so I started asking my animal chiropractor, how did you get here? Like, what would I have to do? And so she just explained the schooling that she had. And I literally went home and I started looking at schools and I found the school in Texas for chiropractic. They did humans, animals. And all of a sudden I was like, I'm going back to school. That's it. I, I'm just going to leave. And everyone thought I was insane that I was going to move to Texas on a whim and go back to school. <laughs> so I was like, I'm committed though. I, I had researched it. So I kept working. I had to do a couple of prereqs to get into the school in Texas. So I did school full-time and work full-time. And it was one of those where I was like, I think I'm committed. I feel insane <laughs> because I'm just going crazy. Like I had to take my finals early to move to Texas. And it just was quite the whirlwind and ended up at, at Parker University in Dallas. And then I went through the human chiropractic portion and I did the animals um, the certification concurrently. And then I ended up back in Utah and now I'm here. <laughs> what made you want to come back to Utah? Um, I just love it here. Just growing up here, I was used to the mountains and the seasons. And when I moved to Texas, I remember driving out there and I was like, it is so flat. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even imagine living here. And it was like I drove through West Texas and it was more like farms and just those rolling hills. And then I got into the city, like into Dallas. And I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> I can't even imagine living in the city the rest of my life. And so um, while I lived there, like I enjoyed the experience and it was so fun to meet like the different cultures that were in Dallas. And there's just so much going on but I was very homesick for Utah. I was like, I want the mountains. I need the seasons again. There's no snow here. And, and along the way, I also, I witnessed cockroaches in Texas. And I was, oh, like, no. I was like, I cannot stay here. They are terrible. <laughs> oh, I lived in Texas for a little while too. And oh my gosh, the cockroaches. It's yeah, like flies. <laughs> Ugh, like that's how common they were where I was at. And I just feel like, okay, I'm going to sit on this side of the room. And if you stay over there, we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but if you cross this line, I'm going to have like a complete freak out. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, you was... guys, this is making me very uh, grateful for my ice right now. I'm like, I will take the ice. Just keep those cockroaches <laughs> down in Texas. Okay. 
yeah, I, I could not do it. I had a horrifying experience. I was sitting in the middle of a class and the rooms had like the pop-out tiles in the ceiling. And we had a teacher that she was from Iran. She had a pretty thick accent and she was teaching along and everything was fine. And all of a sudden we looked up and crawling out of the ceiling tile was this huge cockroach. And it just fell out of the ceiling behind her. And all of us were like, oh my gosh, she doesn't even know. And then she finally saw like people were moving like to the sides of the room. And she was like, what are you doing? What, what's going on? And, and we were like, Dr. Oz, it's behind you. And she was like, oh my God, I'm going kill it. And I was like, I would never have this experience in Utah. This, no. this, is, this is chaos. And so I was like, I don't want to live anywhere with cockroaches or big bugs. <laughs> it's worth the ice. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm like, I am moving back to Utah. So yeah, I just, I wanted to come back here and I grew up here. So I knew people and I was like, it's probably easier to start a business where you already know people. And so that just kind of brought me back. All of my family's here. So I came back as quick as I could. (laughs) Pretty natural move. Right. (laughs) Well, especially for horse people, uh, Utah is amazing for horse activities because you have such a wide range of everything from you know English and jumping and dressage and endurance and western and reining and cutting I mean they're all uh, just throughout the entire state Um, and then there's also so much public land here Mm -hmm. uh, to go riding in so when I lived back east in Virginia it's almost all private and then it's so dense with trees that finding places to ride is just so different back there. So right. Utah is just amazing for all the trails and outdoor things and different activities and events and things like that. So if you're a horse person, Utah is a great place to be. Yeah, <laughs> Plug it's, for it's Utah from these two. <laughs> I know, we're like Utah. <laughs> and then Miss Idaho, Michaela over here. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't say anything right now because we're in the dead of winter and I'm just, I'm trying hard not to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> trying to survive. Yes. <laughs> So with your schooling and things, I've always been curious because when I was in college, they always talked about if you want to be a chiropractor, you have to be a vet or you have to have a vet on hand. So is that true? Is that still the case? What, what kind of qualifications do you have to have to actually perform on, on horses? Yes. So in Utah and it's different state by state, but in Utah, you either have to be a licensed vet or a chiropractor. And then you have to have the ABCA, which is the American Veterinary Chiropractic Association, and they do a specific certification on animals. So you have to also be certified to even do animal chiropractic. Um, And there's a lot, it's the same for like equine massage, PT, things like that. They want you to have that solid background, at least with people or horses, whatever, to be able to move on to those certifications. And they just changed the law in Utah. You don't have to have a vet referral or anything, but I still co-manage with vets. Um, Like in Texas, you have to have a vet referral to work on animals. So Utah is definitely the preferred place. I think there's only five states where you just have to have the certification. You don't have to have a vet referral to work on animals. Um, And I'm glad they have that in Utah because there's quite a few, I guess, in terms of lay people that try to offer chiropractic that don't really understand what they're doing or don't have a lot of background knowledge. So I try to tell people like, I know you're trying to 
usually it's trying to save money, but it's much better to find someone that's certified that's just going to do the best adjustment possible. So I think Utah's pretty good where we've got it squared away to get people certified and, and do it correctly. So as someone who is looking for a chiropractor, how do we even go about checking for that certification or seeing, seeing what qualifications you have? Yes. So you can go to, um, if you just search the AVCA, they have a website where you can put in your zip code or your state, and then you can find a certified, it'll show vets and chiropractors that are certified in your state. Um, and even in, I know quite a few vets that have taken the certification and I don't know if they just haven't updated, like kept it current. Sometimes they don't show up on the website or there's also an IVCA, which is a similar certification. Um, you can look up their website as well and it will show all the vets and chiropractors. Um, and in Utah, there's even, there's a gal that's been compiling um, all sorts of like disciplines, chiropractors. So she has like a registry. Um, if you go under like the Utah Horse Council that they have a page where you can look up all sorts of, like I said, everything like boarding, barriers, chiropractic. So you can look up everyone that's certified in Utah. Cool, thanks. We'll link to all of those in the show notes for people too. So you guys can just click those and go go look. Um, do you know what other states require the certifications? Um, I'm trying to remember the two, two or three that are on the top of my mind are Oklahoma and Arkansas. They're pretty similar with Utah where you just have to be certified and you don't require a vet referral. And I think, I want to say Texas, you have to be certified, but also have the vet referral. Um, it's pretty up in the air state by state. Some of them even require like on-site supervision by a vet. Um, I think there's like indirect referrals or supervision. And then there's some states where it's completely illegal to adjust animals. So it's, it's all over the map with what's required in each state. Interesting. It's really interesting to me because like I said, I grew up getting adjusted by people just because of my sports and things, but I never had to have a doctor in the room. So why is it different when you adjust animals? Like, why do you have to have their doctor in the room to adjust them? It's honestly because of the vet laws which is, it's super interesting to me because it was a chiropractor that started animal chiropractic and somewhere along the way they merged into like the vet laws of each state. So when you practice, you have to check both the chiropractic laws and the vet laws. So it just depends on the state, what their vet board has decided they're comfortable with. Um, like in Utah, it used to be written in the vet laws, um, like the vet practice acts of like the chiropractors had to have a referral and I think it's just based on the education that each vet board has as far as what they are comfortable with um, like with the ABCA certification you go through a lot of um, like vet cases neurology different diseases so that way you know when to refer out to a vet and so I think that's the biggest worry that comes from vets is that they don't want a chiropractor to miss something that's not chiropractic or like musculoskeletal related. So I know that's usually the worry. And, and even when I was learning in school, I was taught by vets and chiropractors that they said, if, if you're certified, like we trust that you've gone through enough schooling, you know when to refer out or at least 
no one to do like a trial of care and then refer out. So I think that's just the biggest worry is we want to make sure that the animals are taken care of and that nothing is missed um, or just pushed down the line to where we could have gotten to it sooner if they were referred to a vet for their health care. Interesting. So is your certification in schooling, do you have to do the same things for the human side or is it more relaxed on the human side? Um, on the human side, I'd say it is more relaxed just because every state, all you have to do is be licensed. Like you have to go to school, get licensed, do your clinicals, and then you can practice. So like you were saying, you don't have to have like an MD overseeing or referring you for human chiropractic care. So it's much more easy just to go a human route um, just in chiropractic. So it is interesting to me, like you were saying, like I don't have to have this or, or even like PTs, different things like that. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting. There's a lot of turf wars in the equine world where it can be very cutthroat. Like I'm very much like, let's co-manage, let's refer out. And there's, there's some vets that are very like, if you're not a veterinarian, you shouldn't touch animals. So it's, it's very, you kind of have to tread the line of, of how to practice and, and how to go about things. So it's just interesting. I would, I would much rather have just a good relationship and get the animal taken care of. And like, as long as you're licensed properly, let's, let's go for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's actually been very helpful for me as a horse trainer, because I'll get horses that, um, like you were saying with the pole in your one horse, the, where it was yeah. just like, boom, um, and made such a huge difference. It's something I recognize pretty quickly now. I'm like, Oh, this horse's pole is out. Like, Chelsea, yeah. get your butt over here. <laughs> but my problem in the past before I met you was uh, my vet is very, very busy. He's mm -hmm. like the best vet in central Utah for horses. So yeah. he's booked out usually for about a month, month and a half. So yeah. that means I have to wait an entire month of my horse being sore and possibly having vision loss or a pinched nerve or yeah. things like that. And I'm like, I can't wait a month. Like I can't train on a horse that's in pain. Right. And yeah. so it's been so nice having someone like you that is number one, trained, certified, amazing at what you do, but you're also, you have more of that availability because of the way you've set up your program. So mm -hmm. you can usually get to me within a week, sometimes less. And so that's much more beneficial to me because I can get these horses feeling better and doing better and being able to continue on in their training much sooner. Um, so it's been a huge game changer for me having a mobile chiropractor like you that I'm like, yay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad that, it. yeah, I'm glad Utah has the, the, that you don't have to have the vet uh, referral because then I still would have to wait a month. I would have to wait to get into the vet to right. refer me or to you. And it's just like, but it's so much easier if I can just get Chelsea over here. <laughs> so, right. And that's, that's kind of what before the law was changed, everyone went through of like, okay, we see your reasoning. Like you want to make sure the horse is, is cleared. Like you're saying nothing else is going on, but yeah, it was, there's so much, like I see a lot of dogs that are dealing with like paralysis. And so the same thing, like I need to see them as soon as possible. If we have to wait to go back and forth and transport them to the vet, there's just so many issues. And so that's where it comes up of, if I can just have direct access and I can at least see the animal. And there's quite a few cases where I show up and I start doing my exam and I'll say, this has to go to the vet. Like I, it's past the chiropractic point. <laughs> 
And so it's, it's nice for those owners though, that at least someone can come see the animal and at least give them direction, whether or not chiropractic is going to help. And so, yeah, like you're saying, there's just vets have such a huge load of all sorts of cases. And, and if they are a vet that does chiropractic, it's the same thing of like, they have a lot of emergency cases and different things that they have to take care of on a daily basis. And if we can work together where I'm just doing chiropractic and help with more like musculoskeletal issues, they're not emergency care that's needing to go to the vet. That's, that's way more beneficial, like you're saying, than, than waiting forever just to get them taken care of. So yeah, I'm super glad that we can do that in Utah. Yeah. It's still so mind boggling to me though, that you have to go through all these hoops for, for the animals to be adjusted, but for us, we're like, whatever, go to whoever you want. You know, It's just so interesting. But why did you decide not to go the vet route and get your chiropractic at the same time? Cause listening to you talk, I'm like, well, wouldn't it be just almost more beneficial to have the vet side of things too? Cause then you could just practice wherever you want. Cause you are a vet, right? Exactly. And I've kind of gone back and forth. There are situations where I'm like, oh, I wish I was a vet because we could just take care of a lot more <laughs> in one session or if they need like medication prescribed or something, different things. Um, on the, the human side, though, I used to want to be a vet when I was younger because I, like I said, I liked animals, all the things. And then I had one of my horses um, got in a wreck. And he had this huge gash into his hip that you couldn't even see. And we took him to the vet and had to do a whole bunch of stuff, cut it open. And I could not handle it. I was like, I'm pretty grossed out right now. <laughs> so that's where I was like, I cannot handle like the needles and the blood and guts. I just, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And even into my animal certification, the vets that were on hand teaching talked about just how mentally hard it is that there's weeks when they have to euthanize animals every day and just the cases where it's like they're called and it's too late. And I'm like, I, I think mentally I couldn't have handled it. I just, I have that soft spot where I'm like, I just want to help them. <laughs> and so I'm glad I went the chiropractic route because then I can, I'm usually called to non-emergent cases where there's a pretty good chance they're going to respond and they're going to get better. I don't have to deal with as much doom and gloom, I guess. Yeah, the end of so, life and the emotions yeah. and the, yeah. Yeah. When I was a vet tech, that was the hardest part too. It was just like, oh, yeah. having to stand there as we had to, you know, euthanize the animals and the people are crying and I'm just like over here trying not to cry. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not even my dog, but I can't. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard, especially when you have to do it so consistently. So yeah, hand out to like, those vets. They, they do a lot. <laughs> Oh yeah. I have such respect for them, just everything that they go through. And cause yeah, I'm like, I, I could not, I've had some clients that their animals passed away or we get to the point where we have to decide if care is even working. And I, I like my heart breaks even at that. And I'm like, I'm not even there with you, you know, as they transition. And I'm like, I, I couldn't do it. So yeah, hands off to the vets for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense why you would choose one versus the other, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, it's better for me. Yeah. What? So with all of your experiences, what makes a good client and what makes a bad client? Like, who are you really excited <laughs> to go see and who do you dread and why? Um, I'd say, and I'm pretty lucky, most of my clients are just like the golden clients. They're 
ready to begin care. Um, I'd say the ones that I love to see are as we can start talking more like chiropractic education, they really understand the benefits of like maintenance care. Um, I think with chiropractic, a misconception is like, well, once I start chiropractic, I have to keep doing it. And I tell people like, well, don't you want to feel better <laughs> all the time? Like I'm not, I'm not here to overprescribe like adjustments or, or come see you all the time, but just regular care. And as I start to talk to people that understand like, okay, yeah, we're just, it's just for the benefit of my animal or for me, like those are my ideal clients that just, I know that they'll call me when, when they need me instead of, okay, well, I've waited months. <laughs> Let's try this as a last resort, or I can just put them on a good maintenance schedule where we just know everything's good. Um, clients that are not ideal are more, it is the last resort. They want to try one adjustment and hope it's miraculous and is going to heal their animal of every element. Um, it's just, it's not practical. Usually they need a few treatments if it's really bad or like a prolonged condition. Um, so I think sometimes it's just what people have in their mind of what they need. Um, I have other clients and I'm pretty good at when I can tell we're not a good fit for each other, like on a practitioner level. And I'll try to refer them on if I can't quite handle their needs. I have some people that are just very picky of what they need from me, like the notes that I send out. Um, I send just a diagram of like the animal and the adjustments. And I've had people that I try to do like go above and beyond, beyond for their animals, send them detailed notes. And they're just like, it's never enough. So I feel like those are the non-ideal clients where I'm like, I am trying so hard to help you and I don't know what else to do for you. That's crazy to me because those <laughs> notes that you send are very detailed and like you talk yeah. about everything that you did, like everything you adjusted and the horse's responses to your adjustments and everything. Right. So I'm like, what more do they want? Like, I <laughs> wow. Well, I know yeah. I get that a lot in my, my realm as well, where you know, you can give them as much as possible, but it comes to a point where that client just needs to do the work. Like they need to read your notes. They need to, right. they need to actually call you when they need your help. You know, I get that all the time too, where it's like, well, yeah. I can give you everything that needs to be done, but you still have to make those steps forward. You still have to walk those steps and do it. I can't come <laughs> to your house and force feed you good food. You've, you've got to make that change. So I definitely yeah. see the same thing. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, so with the good clients and their willingness to be put on maintenance schedules. So I know when I talked to you for the very first time and I asked like, okay, what kind of schedule do I need to have my horses on? I was actually really surprised at how infrequent it was. So how, how often do you have people like, do you want to come back in a maintenance schedule? Yes, this is a good question. So it's very dependent on like the animal and what they're used for. Um, like my rodeo horses or eventing horses, things, you know, you're really hardcore using them all the time. I have them on like a six to eight week maintenance schedule, which I just compare it to like, if you need a new set of shoes, we probably need to get them adjusted as well. Um, there's other animals. I usually put them on like a quarterly schedule. They're just, they do really well. They hold their adjustments. It's usually lower stress or like a companion dog stuff like that, or just like a, a kid's horse that they're infrequently using. 
So I just put them on a maintenance schedule of quarterly. That way they're, they're still getting seen throughout the year. Um, a lot of those horses, we have to, to budget, like time and money are usually the main barriers. Um, so I just try to work with clients of like, where are you at budget wise of what you can do for adjustments? Um, so a lot of times I, I do space them out. If they have like an injury, I see them closer together like within a couple of weeks, we'll do a couple of adjustments and then try to span them out again. Um, and, and really the reason behind it, I don't want them to just be dependent on the adjustment. I want them to have enough time, their body's acclimating, you're doing the stretches or different exercises to help the body to where it needs to be, but it's close enough together. We're not just regressing to where they're back into pain or, or other things are happening. So it's, it's kind of tough sometimes to find that happy medium for each individual animal. That way we can figure out. And, and sometimes it's a trial basis of, hey, let's try eight weeks and see where they're at. And they're doing really well. And then a lot of times, like I said, money comes up. And so we try to spend it out. Let's do 10 to 12 weeks. And then we just kind of put them on that schedule. So I try to just be for each owner and animal, what works best for them. That way it's not just a cookie cutter. If they don't need it, you can save your money. And if you do need it, we can definitely see you sooner if needed. Yeah. So on the human side, I was told once that because humans have vertical spines, we need adjustments usually more often than a horse or dog with a horizontal spine. Is mm -hmm. that, is there some truth to that or no? Um, yes. Just from like what I've seen in different cases, I feel like it has to do with like the anatomical spine, but also I see a lot with the nervous system involvement. We have so much stress in our nervous systems that that is usually more of why we need regular care. There's a lot of people that I see that they've had not necessarily physical trauma, but like emotional trauma or just lots of stress and their body has held on to that for so many years. They need a lot more care than animals kind of like you were saying with the placebo effect or like the conscious thought like animals just respond and they let it go mm -hmm. and then they're great and and people it's like I'm gonna have to see you weekly or monthly or just a lot more often to get those same results yeah yeah well and animals move through trauma so much better than humans do yeah <laughs> humans, oh yeah yeah we it's like you said we we hold on to a lot and uh and we carry that with us instead of just being in the moment and being able to let it go so that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Could you, cause I can just see us having a listener who's listening to you right now going like, well, it's emotional problems. Like, why do I need a chiropractor <laughs> for that? Can you explain like what happens in their bodies and how chiropractics can help that release? Um, like what exactly are you talking about there? Yes. So, so on, we talk about like the nervous system. So the, the main two that we talk about, especially in chiropractic is parasympathetic and sympathetic. So the difference is, is parasympathetic is where you want to be. It's like your rest and digest. This is when you sleep better. Obviously, like I said, digest better. Everything's just working. Sympathetic is like fight or flight. Your body is just tense, anxious. You can't sleep. You can't heal. Like your body is very dysfunctional at that point. So a lot of times as we relate like emotional or a mental, either trauma or just like high stress, if you have a high stress job, your mind's on all the time. I have the same symptoms that come up where it's like, well, 
I've, I've decreased my sleep and I have stress. And now I've all of a sudden got this shoulder pain and then my hips started hurting. And they're telling me like, I haven't changed anything physically. So as we start to go through an examination, we can see, okay, you're just holding stress in these areas and that manifests physically where you can see like, see and feel muscle knots, things are not moving, um, just reduced range of motion where you're so tight, like you can't even function. Um, so we wanna go through adjustments where you're not only getting like the musculoskeletal portion, like things are moving, you've increased that range of motion, um, but you want to just be able to have the body kind of like Camry was saying, where horses work through trauma and they release it. You want to let your body move to where you can release that through the muscles. So you're not holding on to it. Um, and each body is different. I can, I have some people, I had a gal come to me that said, I have, I have frozen shoulder. And I, I was asking more questions of like, you've never had this before. She was a regular client. And I asked her if she had any sudden changes or emotional draws and she said well yeah I just went to a funeral of a close friend and like the day of she got frozen shoulder and so trying to explain to her like okay a lot of your emotions that's obviously just a tie for your body or holding it into your shoulder and so um, we did some cranial sacral which is essentially like pressure points along like the sacrum the base of your head things like that um, and these are just points that help tie into the nervous system and help release it. And so we just did those at first and she like gained 50% motion back in her shoulder, just, just with those points. And so I was tying into her, of you have to let go of the emotional component or you're not going to gain anything physically. Um, so that's how I tell people with maintenance adjustments, it could either be you have something physically coming up or like that a funeral or something just really taxing on you mentally that you're probably storing in your body and if we can just get to it when it's little instead of kind of if it festers for a while that's when people come to me of like oh my gosh everything's going wrong my whole body hurts then we have to work back through weeks or months of just tense that sympathetic response that's going on so that's how adjustments will send back um, also neurologically just back to the brain of, okay, I don't have to be in this pain cycle. We can get out of that. I can calm my whole body back down. So it's really, if that kind of answers your question, it's just like a full body, like nervous system, anatomical response to get them sleeping better, functioning better, just all the things. Overall quality of life is so much better. Yeah, that's that's a great way to explain it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I have like all the tinglys right now. And I'm like, so can you come over today? How far do you travel? <laughs> I'll come up and see you in Idaho. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll make dinner. <laughs> Perfect. Um, kind of going along with that, because I don't know. I, I don't know if you get the same questions I do. I get a lot of a lot of people who come in, they're like, I just want you to tell me the one thing that I need to do to make things yeah. better, you know? And I'm like, okay, if there is one thing I could tell people, what would it be? So what would it be for you? If there's one thing anyone can do for themselves and their horses, I guess we'll just do two. So one for each, each being, what yeah. can we do to support ourselves and to support our horses, like alongside your practice? Yes. Um, outside of 
adjustments, a lot of things that I tell people, especially with horses, a really simple thing is like stretching, just getting them to stretch through different planes of motion. Um, that's also a really good key, kind of as we talk about like releasing trauma, sometimes they just need you to help them stretch through things and you can even help them release before they even need to see me. So I like to give people, like you're saying, just those daily keys, like do some stretching, which I say this is a really simple thing because most people that I ask them if they'll stretch their horses, they never do it. <laughs> so I say it's super simple, do some stretching, um, do some type of flexing where it's you're not on them, asking them to do it. You're just kind of helping them and you're building that bonding relationship. Um, and then on the human side, same thing, just movement, stretching. A lot of times I'll give people like breathing exercises. So we kind of touch into more of the emotional aspect of like meditation and things like that, where you're just getting your body to just release, um, going back into like that parasympathetic state. So I would say probably the two most important things just to span like human to animal would definitely be breath work and just stretching or movement. That way, a lot of people, especially with COVID, started working from home and people just sit. We are very stagnant. So I say movement is the key. <laughs> However, you need to do that, like just get up, get moving. So yeah, those are the two, two main things I would say are, are pretty baseline for everybody. I love that. Um, and like you said, I'm, I'm all about movement, both with myself and my horses. And that's a big yep. part of, of what I do. And I'm like, can, how can we get you to, to just understand that your body needs <laughs> that, you know, and that your horses need it too. They can't stand in a stall all day long. Cause it just creates so many issues, but it's interesting that you do say stretching and, um, cause with my training and like the different people I work with, I feel like in my world of personal training, stretching can be like this like wonderful thing. Like everyone needs to stretch. And then on the other hand, it can be this thing that like, why the heck would you stretch? That's just going to undo everything right. that we do. Right. Um, so could you just go into how stretching would be beneficial, especially on like the, the skeletal side of things? Yes. So on, and this can be you know, for people or animals, but I see it a lot in animals where we think of them as just one plane. You know, a lot of times as I talk to people, if I'm doing the stretching or doing some different mobilizations, like into the extremities, they usually get really freaked out because I'm bringing them outside of midline and I'm not like yanking or anything. It's, you know, a slow movement. It's a stretch. Um, and so I get a lot of questions of like, like, why are you doing that? Are you going to hurt them? And so how I relate it is like stretching, you have to get them outside of that one plane. You know, horses don't just go forward and backward. Like they're, they're constantly turning, they're bending. If they're any type of event horse, they're constantly stretching their legs in and out, different things. So stretching is really good. Um, like if you talk about the shoulders, if you're stretching out a front leg, that's going to pull into like the base of the neck up into the wither area, the whole shoulder, the ribs, everything is connected. Um, not to get too deep off topic, but with fascia that is connecting the entire body head to toe, anywhere that you can stretch out where it's releasing what we call like adhesions or just bunches into the fascia that's going to benefit. Like if you're stretching the shoulder that will stretch into the ribs into the hind end. 
So really, if you're stretching the front and the hind legs on a horse, even if that's all you can do, not even like stretching or bending the neck, that will release so much in the body to where they can finally relax. They'll usually start to move better, kind of moving through any areas that they're stiff or not functioning very well. So that's where it's like, this is super simple, but it's almost oversimplified for a lot of people. Like you're saying, they want the one super ingredient just to do. And as I tell them stretching, they're like, that can't be it. That's way too simple. It's way too easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the same exact thing. Now I'm getting like really excited. We need to invite you back on so that I can get out with you for a little bit. Because <laughs> um, I've just, I've just started learning and doing some different certifications that go along with fascia. And it's been like so mind blowing for me. Yes. So I'm like, oh yes, let's talk about this. Um, but for people who don't know what fascia is, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because again, I'm just like in the beginning of, of really diving into this and learning about it, but yeah. it's kind of the net that holds your whole body together. So like if you cut open me and you open it and you see like that white stuff that kind of holds it together, that's what fascia is. And we all have yeah. that. Yeah. So when um, Chelsea is talking about like bunching and things, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it, right. And so jump in if I'm not but <laughs> your fascia can just it's not as mobile as your muscles and, and different things so if it gets stuck in a certain plane like Chelsea was saying we all sit all day long so that fascia gets stretched out in certain areas and bunched up in certain areas and unlike our muscles it doesn't just snap back in place when we do different things so it takes a lot more um what is it like conscious behavior, conscious, like you said, yeah. like stretching and movement to yeah. really bring those and like stretch them out and get them to go back into their shapes. Is, am I explaining that right? Yes. Chelsea? Yes, that's perfect. And they're all tied together. Like, um, there's a book called anatomy trains and it talks about the fascia starting at your head and where it goes through the body, like across the back into the feet. So there's, times when people are saying like oh well, I have a low back issue and then you actually as they do an exam I'll find out okay it's actually stemming from like your your neck or your shoulder and I start to adjust there and so I have to kind of go over fascia a lot with people of like even the areas that are hurting might not be what's really going on it, it could be pulling from your neck and you've got something going on there where we have to to look at both aspects and so yeah fascia just like you're saying it's just a net throughout the body, all these different muscle bodies um, or muscle bellies that are connected with the fascia. So one over here on your right shoulder can affect like your left hip. So it's a, I'm glad you're doing that certification. It's definitely a super important component of like a lot of body work, definitely like, like your personal training, different things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very fascinating, especially when we're looking, cause I'm doing it specifically looking at riders, right? Cause that is, yeah. the, those are who I love to train. I want to yeah. be able to train them, you know? <laughs> so I just get so fascinated by how that connects and how, when we're out, how it affects the horses. It's just, like I said, I'm going to have you back. We're going to have you back. So I can geek out <laughs> we'll Camry <be> <laughs> I love it. and we'll just have, have a whole episode about this, but um, <laughs> I love that. What, do you have something Camry? Oh, I was just going to say, so the, the first part was movement, right? So stretching. And then the other part that Chelsea mentioned as far as her like take big takeaways was releasing tension. So I just kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit further of it's not just meditation, guys. If meditation isn't your thing, there are so many ways to release tension. 
Um, and like movement can be a way to release tension, right? Like going yeah. for a jog, going for a walk yep. outside, going for a hike. But there's also like we talked about in an episode that basic exercise that was like a neurological reset. There's multiple different versions of of neurological reset exercises. Um, so just find a few different things to put in that toolbox to help you release that tension um, so that your movement isn't for nothing. Because if you move, but your muscles are like super tight because you're carrying all this tension, then you're not going to be able to get that full range of motion, right? Yes, that's a good point. That's that's a really good point of finding what works for you. Because a lot of people, um, meditation, like you said, is just one example, but a lot of people hate meditation. <laughs> Or they don't like to do like the breathing exercises. It's just, they're not quite there. Like that's not a good category for them. So yeah, I like where you're pointing out like to, if it's not a stretching exercise, like do some type of workout. That's also kind of a stretch or just relieving, you know, tension or do some boxing or something. If you need to do like yeah. a fast type of release or so, yeah, really good point there. Well, Michaela, do you have any other questions before we I wrap have up? All the questions. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, Chelsea, you will be back. <laughs> we'll have another session. <laughs> well, I just one last thing I just wanted to kind of say before we let you go, but I just really appreciate your whole body awareness. Working with you, it's been a very different experience. Like I said, I've been adjusted by so many different people across my life. <laughs> um and my main experience, especially growing up, was with chiropractors who just, they adjusted the same, like, three things, didn't matter what the problem was, right? So I'd go in, and they, it would just be, like, kind of harsh, cracking. Like, I mean, by the time I left, I'm like, I felt worse <laughs> leaving. Like, I needed to go take an ice bath and just, like, right. you know, because I'm so sore. But one thing I noticed um, with your adjustments that I really appreciated was the fact that you actually, like, looked at my body as a whole and you didn't just adjust the same three things you know you just looked at it and went oh well this doesn't actually need to be adjusted so I'm right. just going to work on this area right which was really different for me um because like I said I've always been to chiropractors who just it, I felt like they were just going through the motions getting me in and out right where right. with you it, I just I felt like wow she's actually like listening to my body and she's being more aware and it's really fascinating to watch you with the horses as well do do the same thing and just look and go well they don't need to be adjusted here you know that's yeah that's not the problem <laughs> so I really do appreciate that about your practice and how gentle you are when you adjust too because there are some chiropractors like I said I've gone in and I'm like I can't move for three days after the adjustments just because <laughs> they are so rough but you are just I'm like oh that was it okay you know, yeah. like, I, I appreciate the way you practice well, yeah thank you. <laughs> even with the horses so when I had gone to a vet to have my horses adjusted they get sedated for their adjustments and they do it in the stocks mm -hmm. um, and when you come and do it at our place um, it's like you said the horses are more relaxed because they're in their own environment right yeah but um, I just remember being like oh you don't even like sedate them or anything like but you just have this way of working with them that's keeps them relaxed and some of them are my my more anxious cults that I get and they're like a little <laughs> leery of you at first but then by the right. end they're sitting there lowering their head being like oh this lady can come back <laughs> so it's just really cool the way that you work with humans and animals so and your patience oh, thank you 
<laughs> I remember having you come out and do my vault and you were doing my vaulting horse and I was like, well, he's, you know, and he's walking around everywhere and you're just silently following him and moving your step with him. And I just really appreciated <laughs> that because he's, he was not a horse that would have done well if we'd made him stand still. Right. So I just really appreciated right. that part of your practice as well. Just, just your patience <laughs> and your willingness to go with the horse. And it, you know, if they needed to move, it was, you were very good about being like, oh, that's okay. Like let them move. It's not a big deal. So plugs for Chelsea. (laughs) Thank you so so much. (laughs) So now do you want to kind of give people a range of where you travel to um, and then give us all of your information of how to get a hold of you? Yes. So I travel, like you said, I'm mobile. I go, I range from Cache Valley to Cedar City is where I'll go for groups. Um, I pretty much stay from like Davis County into like Juab down through there. Um, I do go see Camry quite a lot in, in Monroe. So I do have quite a few like through Richfield, Salina. Um, I really go anywhere if you have like a group of people, animals, whichever you need. Um, you can reach me. So my practice is Peach Creek Chiropractic and you can just search that for my website. Um, if you're close to me, you can even request an appointment online. There's just a button you can put in if that works with your schedule. And then I just reach out to you and let you know if that works, if I'll be in your area or we'll get you scheduled. Um, Or you can just also just text my office line at 801-896-7877. You can just let me know like what area you're in, what's what's going on. I can either give you a call or text back and I'll get you scheduled and get you taken care of. I do also want to mention that Chelsea is coming to the Connected Horsewoman retreats this summer in July and August. So yeah, um, she'll be exciting. doing some adjustments there and uh, doing a little presentation. So I hope you can yeah. stay longer this time. <laughs> yes, I told, I told Camry, I was like, I think I have my life a little bit more sorted out this year. <laughs> so I should be able to just stay longer. It won't be an in and out. So I'm super excited to come back with you guys and do some adjustments and learn from everybody else. That'll be super fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. This has been wonderful. And like I said, we will definitely have you on again so we can all geek out. (laughs) Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you guys today. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.